Welcome to ThoughtSpeak, the original Animorphs podcast dedicated to K.A. Applegate's sci-fi classic. I am your host, Michelle. And I'm Coleman. And we are back for a very special one of these uh, podcasts. Uh, We have a graphic novel that, as far as we know, we are in a very small amount of people who have gotten to read this thing early. We're very excited about it. It is... Uh, the graphic novel for book two, The Visitor. Yes, by author Chris Grine. Um, this comes out next week. I'm hoping to have this podcast out at least a few days in advance. Um, but um, yeah, we're really excited. We've got an advanced copy and uh, get to you know share our thoughts ahead of time and see if you want to buy it or not. Uh, spoilers, you should buy it because it's new <laughs> Animorphs content and it's really, really good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's exactly right. It doesn't seem like long ago we were actually talking to friend of the show, author, co-host, uh, artist, <laughs> potential co-host, Chris Grein himself, uh, re- when we reviewed, uh, the previous graphic novel, which of course was The Invasion. And I, this, this one is reminding me how much I actually like book two, I'll say. Yeah, I, I think it, to me, book two it's great. It's 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 fun to read the the original Animorphs book. I honestly think the graphic novel elevates some things. Um, you know, with again like 20, 30 years of uh, hindsight, they're able to inject a little humor and, and and do some things that are really interesting and really good. Because I mean, you gotta think this is when Kay Applegate was was really just starting out. This was like their second or third series they'd ever worked on. So, you know. Again, having some perspective and time since it was published, uh, I think they were able to do some really cool things with the graphic novel version. It's got that old school Animorphs vibe just consistently smell. throughout the whole thing. <laughs> I, I, I wish I could smell the file, the digital file that we were sent. Uh, I'm, I'm going to stick my nose in the book when I, when I buy it, for sure. Yeah, Can no. confirm. I'm excited to have it in just a nice, beautiful, you know, full page. Um, you know, you were, you were reading it on your laptop. I was reading it on my phone, uh, which, you know, the ebook version is going to be great. I can tell you that. That's how I experienced it for the first time. But a lot of potential Animorphs wallpapers in this one. I can, oh, I can definitely also confirm that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking of one that you're probably, uh, that sprung to your mind right away. We'll get to it. Um, do, tell me, good sir, do we have to pitch to an ad here? Because I feel like I, I need to say a word about our Patreon, of course, as we always do real quick. We, we can. Let's, let's try to be succinct, though. I don't want people to think that we're just, you know, doing ads left and right and trying to get you to sign up for Patreon. 
we do these simply because uh you know we do really appreciate the people who donate to us and um if that's not within your means or you don't feel like we've earned that uh another way you can help out the show is just by you know give us a review on itunes or wherever you listen to podcasts but yes let's let's thank our patreons real quick and then we'll cut to an ad read Okay, absolutely. I just want to say thanks to Daniel, Ben, Jeff, and Aegon, the Chimera Demon, our friend Andrew, <laughs> keeping us alive on Patreon. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, and, you know, podcasting is not cheap sometimes, especially if you want uh, this sultry sounds coming through top-of-the-line gear like we're working with this week. Uh, so we're just going to jump to a quick ad read, and then we're going to jump right into the book, starting now. I am personally really excited to jump in this book, and I think uh, kind of different than our normal, you know, when we're just reviewing an Animorphs book, we're just going to kind of scroll through and uh, kind of talk about what we see and what we're excited about and, and, you know, just go through the plot as we see it. Um, so so join us. Come along with this journey as we a, a go live through reaction. The Visitor. <laughs> yeah. It's a react video. We should have been recording the video version of this. How do you know I'm not? Um, so anyway, that aside... <laughs> The the one of the very first things you'll like realize about this book is is like I said how old school Animorphs it is. It's got a lot of those firsts, right? So right off the bat, we get the first couple of pages are of them flying around for the first time. Uh, everybody in Birdmorph, and of course, you know, you get uh, Jake as a hot shot. He can kind of outfly everyone in his morph, the Peregrine Falcon, and. Um, you get a little bit of uh, Rachel and Tobias's kind of back and forth. Um, it does a good job of furthering their bonds, uh, and then and then of course we get one of our firsts where the Animorphs encounter a group of unruly civilians that they have to you know set straight <laughs> with some animal-related yeah. hijinks. There, I mean, there are several things in the in the first part of the series. And the redneck shooting at the bald eagle is definitely one that I remember well. Um, and it's just, you know, there's just a lot of like saving birds and uh, things that Tobias is usually involved with. And, and this in particular with Rachel grabbing the shotgun from the guy and, and throwing it out over the ocean. Uh, it's, it's a very classic Animorphs um, story point. I I sadly was not prepared for the uh, the main hillbilly guy to look so dang pretty, um, with the with the ponytail that Tobias conveniently snags off of his head. Just thought he was a very very cute looking hillbilly here. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it's an interesting choice by Chris Grine to uh, frame him. I, I does the uh, ponytail get ripped off in the book? I can't remember that. I couldn't tell you, my friend. I thought it was a very uh, funny detail. And yeah. the other the other guy's uh, T-shirt just reads good, which is pretty yeah. funny. <laughs> um, I think he just gets, like, you know, like, slashed at in, in the book or something. But the book doesn't really go into these guys or show them very much, whereas one uh, kind of a big change in this is that they're, like, recurring characters uh, throughout just... this graphic they, novel they simply kind of uh artist chris grine uh made the decision i guess to put them in as rachel's harassers later on in the book so yeah it, it does have this kind of recurrence which i thought was a little uh coincidental and perhaps uh could have i could have done without but 
it's fine. It works still. No, I think it's cool. It, it kind of like you know keeps bringing them back, and, and it just you know, I think it's a cool change personally. They remind me of like Bulk and Skull from Power Rangers. Um, they're just <laughs> like these two guys who keep showing up in in the superheroes' day to day lives. Um, so fun. Times. Well, it'll be interesting to see if they make it into book three. Then I guess. I hope they become animorphs. Big change to the series. <laughs> But they they brought on as auxiliary animorphs, or they they take the dual role of David. I'd be okay with that if one of them died, the not so okay. handsome one. What he's he's the one I related to the most. Good, you're related <laughs> to good. Um, and then and then I I gotta tell you how excited I am to see more of the morphs, the actual morphs in art format are every bit as uh, gruesome and horrifying as you would hope they are. And a uh, friend of the show, Chris Grind, does an amazing job here with more of these really creepy, gross morphs for this book, especially this one we get right away with them all changing back from birds. There is one oh, yeah, horrifying the panel. forming out of the beaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one in particular is really bad. And then, of course, we get uh, to see Cassie do it a little bit expertly, which is crazy to think that she was already kind of able to do that from book two. Yeah, I love how, I mean, again, this is very this is very straight out of the books, whereas, like, Marco's in the corner of the bell tower, like, he fell over and is, like, on his back morphing because his legs decided to morph first before his, you know, other parts. Uh, it's just, yeah, just really, really nails the morphine and how horrifying it is. <laughs> here you and go. Are... Here's your, here's your scare character, a half morphed <laughs> corpse girl. Oh yeah. Wonderful. If you listened to, um, our private thought speak episode, uh, that might make sense to you, mm-hmm. but it's most, an most readers might not or listeners, <laughs> readers, <laughs> listeners, however you ingest this show. <laughs> yeah, who, just, I don't think we got a lot of readers. Just, just saying. Um, um, the 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 cool thing is though, I I wanted to see more art of these kids in their underwear, and and we got exactly that here in the Bell that's Tower. Weird, <laughs> weird, weird. That puts us on some kind of list. No, 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 um, no. Because when you think about it, the the Animorph series, uh, they do that a lot, right? They even point out at one point how uncool they look. Uh, so it's a line in this book when Marco's talking about how they need to coordinate yeah. their, their outfits. And uh, something I always keep in mind in uh, the back of my mind when I'm reading the books is in any of these morph out scenes, they're all in their spandex, right? Well, it's like leotards and stuff because, you know, Rachel does gymnastics and things like that. So just anything somewhat skin tight. Yeah, and the um, artist doesn't linger on any of it. It's not pervy in any way. I'm just saying uh, they it shows them actually transitioning, you know, from morph to throwing on clothes and then sneaking back into their well, lives. Well, I thought, I thought that was a cool, um, you know, it, with superheroes in general or anything like that, you have to give them, you know, their issues they run into with day-to-day superhero life. Like for Spider-Man, he, he in most of the comics, he doesn't have organic web shooters that come out of his wrist he had to build them so you have a moment where spider-man's fighting like doc ock or something and his spider webs run out and so then he has to like solve that problem and fight without his webs and stuff that's the animorphs that's one of their things is that they can't morph clothes which if you're a covert spy like the animorphs are that can be a real issue sometimes not being able to you know morph clothing 
Um, so, oh, yeah. uh, you know, it's glad that that's represented. They could have taken the route of like, oh, well, it might be kind of dicey to show kids in tight-fitted clothing. But, you know, like you said, they don't linger on it. It's not weird. Uh, they just, you know, it's it's part of the Animorphs and what makes it interesting and, like, you know, something they have to work around. Them having to deal with the clothes is as big of a challenge as the two-hour time limit, which is, again, stressed mm-hmm. in this book. Um uh, really quickly, you know, they, they point out Tobias and his state, and it's just a big refresher from the people who skipped book one, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't know who's just jumping into the second one, but, um, but yeah, I mean, the focus on, it's kind of setting up the next book, too, with Tobias and how much of focus. We don't, I don't know if the, that scene where we hear that Tobias is, like, living with Jake, I don't think they mention in this like they do no no not yet and man now that you say that i can't wait for the graphic novel for book three that is going to be phenomenal already yeah yep what's being i think it's being currently colored right now so it's it's coming along oh wow i didn't know that have you been chatting with friend of the show chris grind i I follow him on twitter i keep (laughs) up with it nice um we get you know again a lot of these firsts the kids discussing their situation in school um it's all very very classic-y animorphs um until we get to a long forgotten favorite character melissa and rachel's interactions with her um i felt almost like there was a little less melissa in this graphic novel than there was in the book well she's definitely like a, a focus of the plot just like the book but you're right. Like I feel like Melissa's all over the place in the second book, and this one, it's much more focused on the Animorphs and and their mission to infiltrate the Chapman's house, kind of removed from the Melissa aspect of that. The the initial scene where she's introduced, I think, is is very much the same. Where they just have this really brief encounter at uh, the gym or wherever they're at, um, which then feeds right into the uh, Rachel's harasser scene. And uh, this this was um, more or less, I think, to show, you know, both Rachel's uh, willingness to just morph and do crazy things. But it's also like a big callback to when all of the kids in every single one of these books has a scene where they're pushed a little too far and they use their morph powers a little selfishly. And we get a great yeah, and, and, art panel here with her pop. Yeah, out. and her popping out but just again this is when the hillbillies come back and they're just mad about what happened to their guns and so they're hanging out downtown in the rain for some reason drinking slushies and uh yeah this is just such a this always thought was a weird scene in the book just rachel being creeped on but you know teenager walking alone at night um but her coming out of the dark as a like half elephant uh, really shows at the beginning that they were like, again, like you said, like these selfish morphs that could have totally blown their cover if somebody had been a yerk or a yerk had been a nearby or a controller or something, you know, uh, pretty crazy. But I love, I love that it ends with her blowing out her shoes, just like in the book. Yeah. Like her shoes are just destroyed. It's very accurate to the the book. I don't know if the, um, the lines that these uh, guys give each other as they're running away, which I thought was pretty funny. The one guy says, did you get her number? And the other says, no, I got robbed by an elephant. Start the dang truck. Um, I don't know if that's word for <laughs> yeah. word the same, but I appreciated it. I don't think so. And we even get uh, uh, a lovely kind of time lapse um of rachel going back from elephant to to herself with the trunk sucking in and it just looks you know freakishly gorgeous 
unframed, you know, classic Animorphs uh, morphine. It does. Like front cover. Yeah, it elicits the covers. I think we talked about that in our review of the first graphic novel, but these these time-lapse morphs are what the covers should have been, I think is what we decided. Yeah, have Chris Grind do the covers of any re-releases. Oh. I'm, I'm all for it. Hashtag, I want that cover. Yeah. Um, but, and, and he said, when we interviewed him and talked to him, he said that wasn't intentional, but I can't see how it's not sometimes when it's framed even the same way. Um, but this is our first interaction with, yeah, this is our first interaction now with Chapman, who I think he played up. I think Chris played up the uh, almost like you know s- evil villain <laughs> roboticness and made him, which I think made him distinct in the comic. Whereas in the book, he's just like, oh, the evil vice principal. That's like something you're supposed to relate to, versus the comic. Um, where again, they're just like, they're putting like the flash of light across his face to make him look even more sinister. Yeah. The visual medium definitely has to sell it because in the books we get Rachel's inner monologue where she's, you know, thinking, uh, the Yerk is probably thinking about, you know, what to say to me or whatever. (laughs) You know, we have to rely so much more on Rachel's inner monologue, but he does a wonderful job of making, uh, Chapman very menacing. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you have the page, and I think this might have been the book, where she's trying to tell him where to take her because he's giving her a ride home. And he's like, oh, I know where you live. Like, And that's supposed to be a spooky line. But then he drew him like smiling all super creepy and uh, just really plays that up. It looks bonkers, for sure. Um, yeah. We get the first, I think, I think this is the first and only real good look at like Rachel's family, what her mom and her sisters look like. And, you know, in this book, yeah, no surprise. They just they kind of look like her more or less. But um, we get a very, very rare meeting of the Animorphs at Rachel's house, which I feel like mm-hmm. never really comes up again in, in any of these books. Well, there's a lot of that going on in these first few books. They meet at their houses a bunch until they realize, like, oh, the barn out in the middle of the woods is actually the safest place to meet. <laughs> I guess I don't recall where they meet uh, in book three if it's not at Cassie's. It might be one of the, the times they meet up there at the There might have been another Jake meeting. Yeah, they do meet at the mall occasionally in the food court because they don't think anyone will overhear them in the hustle and bustle. So Exactly. But that's also a place where people can see them together and they don't want to be seen as a group very often. So um, It made sense, contextually. Yeah. But we go straight from their little meeting to uh, their first mission to Chapman's house and trying to uh, try to get inside by morphine um, their cat. This was Fluffer. yeah, and and in the book, um, it, it was like this was definitely their first mission where they've had to actually come up with a plan and like execute it. Um, the, the first mission from the, the first book doesn't really count. That was like them playing. Right. Yeah. And, and here I've forgotten how funny the scene where they're trying to capture or locate and capture, uh, Fluffer, Fluffer McKitty, uh, RIP. Love this cat. (laughs) (laughs) RIP. Why, why RIP? Oh, I just got to assume He's dead. In the Yurk invasion, it's just, just this cat was wiped out at some point. This cat did not survive the Yurk invasion. That's no, for sure. probably not. But they get, you know, cut to crap trying to capture him. And then I always had issue, I think. If you go back and listen to our, our review of book two, I think I had an issue of 
why the heck did they have to try and lure this cat out by one of them morphing the shrew? Mm-hmm. Rather than just use the shrew they caught to lure the cat out. Well, because it might run in the wrong direction or, or might hide in a bush or something they can't get to. Like, they had to, like, specifically try to bring it to it them. They couldn't get far. Like, they had to bias. He was able to catch That's it true. once. I, I, know they, they, I know they wanted to inject the drama of Rachel having to be this horrible creature, and that's what this whole book series is about, was the animals. Why didn't Jake just morph Tiger and eat the cat? Boom, problem solved. Because <laughs> I think they wanted to acquire it alive. I think. Just hold it in its mouth. And, yeah. There's other ways. You're right. I agree with you that it's there a, it's are a little bit of a plot hole. ways. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's a plot hole. I think it, it fits in the fact that this is, again, their first real mission that they're trying to plan out, and they're a bunch of 12, 13-year-olds. You know, they're dumb kids, and they're trying to, you know, infiltrate some dude's house. Like, I think it plays perfectly into the plot of the series. I got you. They're, they're not infiltration experts at this point, that's for mm-hmm. sure. The the morph of um, Rachel going to Shrew is... is Likewise, very horrible. And we get one of the first instances of the animal instincts taking over and them getting lost in morph. Um, I know that was an ongoing thing or, or will be throughout the series. And uh, <clears throat> it even takes a, a couple tries for Rachel to <laughs> get control of this little animal, which was a surprise. Yeah. Now, in the uh, in the actual book the whole maggot eating scene it's not a dream it's something that she does right no 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 it's a dream it's just represented oh, it okay. in in a little like you know page and a half chapter uh okay. between scenes so that's that's still accurate yeah because in in uh this book it's just represented in a single double page uh spread and which it's, it's which looks amazing. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. You got to buy this book just to see this page. I'm telling you. It's going to be all over the, the internet, I'm sure. Just for the amount of maggots that Chris Grind can fit onto one double page. <laughs> uh, yeah, but the cat catching scene is funny. It works. Um, it's cool. It shows off their, their first morphing time, and, and Rachel gets to acquire the cat. It's, I think, maybe one of the... Um, of course it's one of the first times I gotta stop saying that now at this point (laughs) it's one of the first times that (laughs) a character acquires an animal on screen right and we get uh, uh, she doesn't actually do the morph then that's when we get this awesome maggot illustration uh, and Rachel throws up because that's that's how it ended in the book as well now I do want to point out one thing I, I feel like I'm starting to get used to these visualizations of these characters like the first comic i was struggling with even though they were very accurate to how they were described the book we've seen the tv show at this point we all had our own imaginations of what these characters looked like and i think finally at the beginning of this book i'm starting to get used to like the individual like how they look in the comic book um which is really working for me they're very consistently drawn um they have a very different look uh each one so like you know rachel i'm starting to see this as like how Rachel looks, which is really cool. Uh, and I think that's a that's a shout out to how well the faces are drawn and, and how they are distinct from each other, you know. A lot of people, a lot of artists struggle with faces, and that's that's not really an issue here, which is cool. Yeah, and you know Especially what? Especially kids' faces, you know, young children. 
as as far as the art goes, I think he handles the transitions between scenes really well too, because there's usually just a um, single panel of the location, um, usually at the top of the page whenever there's a transition, and then the panels flow very naturally after that. I, I'm more used to reading manga, so I will sometimes slip into the bad habit of reading right to left. Yeah. But with this one, it's pretty consistently easy to continue to read left to right. That doesn't I mean, sound like a compliment, I, does it? You just need to start get this. This this is very consistent with the English language where you read left to right. Um, all you have to do is get those uh, mangas that they mirror. Oh, the never read a flipped. <laughs> oh, I knew that would just. I, I used to read Dragon Ball flipped back in the late nineties. Bad times. I'm telling you. Shirts that used to say dad now saying dad. dad. <laughs> so the, oh. the transition here works really well, though. <clears throat> As they move into the school and we get more, you know, plot with Melissa, um, she's all, all, you know, cut off uh, emotionally and distant and, and continues to sort of bulk Rachel's advances and Chapman just continues to be portrayed as an absolute creep. And I love it. Um, but they, they quickly end up going back to the Chapman's house for their actual infiltration mission. We get Rachel doing her, her first cat morph and, uh, really enjoying it. And I think this, this book did basically everything to set up cat morph as like an ongoing, uh, joke or meme within the community, especially when Visor Three starts geeking out about him later. I love. I mean, that's that's honestly something I really like that we're getting the community's years and years of jo- inside jokes and, like you said, memes that are being you know not tackily you know shown but referenced somewhat in the series you know they're just inserted a little something special for those of us who have been like yeah visitor three is super into cats for some reason (laughs) and i think they just added just a little more in this book to kind of sort of reference that and it's 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 i remember him talking about that with us uh when we interviewed Mm -hmm. him and similarly i think i remember him mentioning uh the scene when rachel is is inside the house and she's kind of looking around and one of the first things she sees is is Mrs. Chapman and she's like just zoning out in like a zombie state uh just like cutting some carrots and you really like feel the emotion in just the two panel close-ups of her face um mm-hmm. which is 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 and chat great art yeah yeah and vice uh vice principal Chapman sitting in the living room like staring at the TV that has nothing on like uh I like how they keep coming back to those. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just this whole, I thought this infiltration made the comic a lot more interesting in the book in a lot of ways, actually seeing, you know, us go down in the basement and visitor three appearing, which talk about continuing memes. Visitor three is still dummy thick. <laughs> like they're, they're going all in on that. I'm still weirded out by the tail blades. I don't really see the blade in this comic form it just looks like fur covered or or it's it's still just blue like the rest of them but it's a very minor minor quibble Uh, Um, i i I just i always pictured like a blade coming out of their tail i i will uh i'll get to his description in just a sec i was gonna say that the 
the beginning of the book, you know, it was fun, right? But as soon as uh, Rachel goes into the basement and the whole, like, Visitor 3 scene plays out, that's where I, like, you know, sat up, like, now I'm interested. This is this is good anamorphing here. Um, mm-hmm. Visitor 3, anything with him on the page is going to be uh, an attention grabber for sure. The blade looks uh, like a dolphin's tail, <laughs> I would say. Um, yeah, like it's got the it's got the end of the tail, which is pretty normal for people drawing andalites, and then it's got the blade sticking out of it. But the blade, uh, this you can't tell in this one because it's a hologram. But in other parts where he's shown in the first and second book, the blade is the same color and consistency as the fur, which I always again I always pictured it like, you know, like a bone sticking out or something where you're seeing a hard oh, yeah. surface versus you know fur a different color yeah. it should be a different color right but again it's very minor um it might be because it's a hologram no it's, it's in other parts it's in the first book and this one too when you see them in real mm. life um but anyway you get the you get the great you know, suspenseful scene of uh rachel like desperately trying to act like a cat uh as they're like calling her out and being like we should kill it you know um, which I think is what everyone remembers most from this book is, is these kind of scenes. Yeah. The infiltration gone wrong. Mm-hmm. The, that classic cliche and, uh, visitor three even demonstrates a morph. I remember this being one that we had a hard time pronouncing. I think. Yeah. The Vanarks. Yeah. But Vanarks. very, very cool actually seeing like what it looks like. It looks like the, uh, sandworms from Beetlejuice. Oh, that's a good description. Yeah. I was going to say the sandworms from Dune. It's kind of like Dune, but these actually have like the Tim Burton like lips and the big yeah, long tongue. Yeah. So it, Almost awesome. like a piranha plant from Mario. Mm-hmm. So super cool design for that. Um, and obviously good job, Chris. freaking out uh, Chapman and you can see anything that can rip a yerk out of your head. Uh, it's pretty The yerk bane. That's yeah, yerk bane. Um, and then we see a little bit of, you know, Chapman and his wife just talking about what he saw and, and how Visitor 3 is threatening him. Uh, and then, great, you know, this is the meat of the book, the the personal story, with Melissa just interacting with her parents and it being awful. Yeah. Like, just horrible. <laughs> exactly. It makes you feel so bad. I felt so bad for this girl. Uh, these interactions are just awful. And the way they look at her and talk to her, you're right. Um, and I really like Rachel. Her... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, Rachel goes on to demonstrate another classic cliche of, uh, once again, acting selfishly on a mission or in Morph by going to comfort Melissa, which I was like, yeah, you pet that kitty. Yeah, but that I thought they, I thought they did that really well, where it's like you're actually seeing, it's not just her hanging out with her, like, Melissa's tore up, and Rachel's just like, okay, I need a, guys, I'm going to ignore you, I need a few more minutes, uh, obviously this is this is awful just an awful home life um well it really it really uh i don't know speaks for the series when i feel like most of rachel's character development happens right here at the beginning and the rest is her just kind of losing her mind yeah kind of i don't think they come back to this very much like her it's unfortunate yeah i I like this side of her these first you know five to nine books are kind of giving each animorph their reason for joining the war and her seeing Melissa and her family is her reason for joining the war. Like, that's her reason to be an Animorph. 
and they play that very well in that book, but throughout the rest of the series, they never really come back to that. I mean, she cares about her sisters and her mom and dad, but really her enjoying the war is what Rachel ends up, you know, being defined as. That's um, her focus, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, but it's just interesting. You know, this is how they started out. They wanted her to be, like, her best friend was her representation of what the Yerks are doing. Um, and we really see that. I, yeah, I, I much prefer, you know, humanist Rachel as opposed to a, a control freak, psychotic Rachel that we get down the line. I think they could much have like done... in the books that we're reading right now in the main series. Yeah, they could have done a, a cool mix of that. Um, maybe somewhere down the line, some hybrid version. But but also, again, it's, it's why we never see Melissa again, except for... Um, there's a couple scenes, and obviously there's the scene in the uh, the Megamorphs book where it shows an alternate reality where Melissa is one of the Animorphs instead of Rachel. Oh, total fan-pleaser moment, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, um, as the book plays out, you know, they, they have a lot more scenes with the team interacting, and it's all good stuff. Um, we don't really need to go through any of the dialogue necessarily other than to say that I feel like, because the books are primarily dialogue and internal monologue primarily, but the adaptation rate really works for these graphic novels. You know, I don't feel like content was skipped necessarily. No, if anything, these books are a little long, which I appreciate. For like a normal graphic novel, like if you're reading like, you know, the Infinity Gauntlet collection of Marvel books or something like that, they're usually not as thick as these books. Which, again, it's kind of like how we'd love a big omnibus version of the books themselves in one tome. It's cool that we get a big, fleshed-out version of each of these first starting out, you know, Animorphs books. Yeah, oh, definitely. And I think I looked at the uh, the, the page number conversion rate, and you're right. There are about 100 extra pages for the graphic novel than there is for the book. Yeah. Um. I, I wanna I wanna wonder aloud if I could about uh, something Chris Grind might have done here with when they go back to do mission number two of infiltrating Chapman's mm-hmm. house. I think the page is almost the exact same carbon copy page of of Rachel entering the house through the doggy door or kitty door. Uh, the shot of her looking at the mom from behind the back. Um, cutting the, the vegetables. The only thing that's different is the, the vegetable itself is celery now instead of carrots, which she was cutting earlier. Otherwise, I think the art is all the same. Maybe. I don't want to I mean, say no, that I, he it, just used the exact same page. I'm trying to flip them between them. Um, and, and he again, made, he made, he made not, a little joke saying, yikes, deja vu. Yeah, it's obviously so that, not. That would be funny. It's not out of laziness. It's out of like, showing how Yerk's home life is like when they're not on duty or doing something they're just zoned out because they're probably like flipping through like memories like a tv show or something you know oh yeah maybe yeah i think you're right i'm looking at it it looks it looks identical <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that was, that Which was is probably awesome. intentional i think that's really cool good good job um i don't even know if most people would notice that but just the little joke that he says deja vu and it's the same mm-hmm. same page, essentially, except for the vegetables. Pretty cool. Um, Which, another big moment in Animorphs right here, we get our first bug morph. 
uh, which it's I I forgot that the small you know first time they do bugs they do a flea, which is teeny tiny for any any morph, let alone you know first time. I gotta bug. be honest, if I was going to morph any insect or bug, flea would probably be my first choice because it is so really? debilitating. Oh yeah, I don't want to be something that's conscious of my individual limbs and oh no thank you. Yeah. I mean, I I think uh, like you know the the ants the I don't know if they're just females or but the ants that can fly, I feel like that would be a good morph because you're kind of strong, you can get around quickly. Like I don't know, maybe I'm just thinking of like Ant Man and stuff. But it seems it's like you could do more your mind. with that kind of morph. Yeah, I, I think know. bug morphs in general are the reason like ninety percent of the fan base just couldn't handle being an animorph. <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> that's the one thing we think uh, about when we think about wow, like I wish I was there on the team helping them out, and then it's like, oh, I'd have to do bug morph. You're right. Mm. Yeah, they do roach quite often. It's like one of the um, best ones. <laughs> yeah, that's like the one they settled on. That's like okay, we can kind of see. We're, it's it's hard to kill. Okay, this is our main. You know, you know, bug battle morph. You know, it'd be fun if we tried to compose a tier list of all the different animal morphs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it, what are you going for? Are you going for like battle capable, well, ready? I'm like... just saying, yeah, best in terms of we'd have to come up with some criteria. You know, some kind of all around uh, tier where it's like, okay, this can do a lot with just this one morph. Yeah, but I'm I'm confident that Roach Morph would easily be A tier, potentially S tier. See, it, again, the one thing I think the entire series missed out on, one moment that would have been incredible. Power levels. It's just into the series. No, into the series, the finale when they're fighting, you know, their their last desperate fight, if Marco would have just come bounding in as a T-Rex or something, you know, referencing oh. the Megamorphs and the time of the dinosaurs. I can't believe they didn't do that. Call back it to non-canon like, material. It's not non-canon. It's canon. Okay, fine. Yeah, you're right. The, the, the material's canon. They don't get to keep that power, though. That's what I'm saying. It would be such a good, yes, there's issues with it, but it would be such <laughs> a moment. Like, such a cinematic, like, amazing moment for one of them to bust out, sure, like, a T-Rex sure. morph. Hashtag, I want that book. For sure, Coleman. <laughs> Hashtag, I want that moment. I'm not trying to deny yeah. that for you. In fact, if you're a fan artist, why don't you work on that? Just give us a little what it, what could be. I'm just saying, follow-up Animorph Animorphs series. what ifs. It's coming. What ifs are real hot right now in, in narrative fiction. What if, yeah, what if the Animorphs could keep their dinosaur morphs? They just go into every uh, mission, oh, they'd be, they'd just full dinosaur. For sure. No matter what the mission is. And that's why they had to, to cut yeah. that. That's another one of those limitations. Um, the the scene in. plays out very much yeah. like the same as the first one with, with Rachel going back in uh, to visit visit 3's little conference with Chapman. The big reveal that Jake is in Flea Morph and has like unknowingly infiltrated Rachel uh, was kind of a really cool twist, and it it does kind of uh, bring to mind that it it Rachel's the first one to like go against you know Jake on a mission, really. Um, in, in this book, yeah, she's he, definitely he showing was, some rebellion you know, here. Definitely yelling at her in the first infiltration to come out, and she was ignoring him, and that's why he had to take such measures as as morphing a flea and hiding on her and concealing his uh, presence, but. 
Well, you want to talk about a Rachel through line that actually stands up throughout the series is that Rachel yeah. and Jake butting heads. I mean, there we, we just read the return, which is all about the ending of her, her arc of her and Rachel or her and Jake, like fighting over like the leadership of the Animorphs, even As though she would be an awful leader yeah. <laughs> for so many reasons. Yeah. But it's like, it's like a firefly, you know, you have Jane, who's like this lovable character, but he's always like waiting in the wings to take over as like captain yeah. of the ship, you know? Oh, you definitely. always have to have that the character. challenge authority type has, has to exist even for the people mm-hmm. who are challenging the authority. <laughs> Hashtag. I want that type. Um, of course the, uh, second infiltration mission does not go well. And visitor three sees the kitty cat again and is instantly like, Oh, okay. Now it dies. And basically doesn't give Chapman a choice. Um, a lot of this basement stuff, I will say, the the actual backgrounds, there's there's very little to them. The focus is on the characters. Yeah. Um, and I've been... It's just like very suddenly sci-fi, yeah. you know? Like, it kind of would have made sense if there was like a half-finished bathroom something, in this back room or something, Even like know? a generic wall like, with a door. Yeah. Or just something to give it some background. I've been... I've been spoiled because I read One Piece and every panel of One Piece is like a artisan uh, renaissance painting that is just a feast for the eyes mm-hmm. um, in terms of backgrounds and character designs. Well, I think most of I think most of this book, most of this book does have pretty detailed backgrounds. It's for some reason this one room, it's almost just kind of like they were like, oh, I don't really know what to draw here, but you know, we got this big sci-fi computer that's in the room. Um, I do like this panel of Chapman just yeeting Rachel as a cat across the room. Uh, super fun. I, I, I like your description uh, Dra- of it. Yeah. And then uh, Dracon beams. This is the only thing. So Dracon beams are the only thing that's like, it's very like it's a, a yeah. retro sci-fi gun. It looks gun. exactly like one of those um, Spaceman spiff. Like a... F- <laughs> kind of a blasters. Yeah. Which, I mean... The Yurks steal everything, so maybe this is like a Skritna technology that they took at some point, uh, which would explain why it's like Atomic Age. It could have been a piece of technology that they had to like drastically retrofit and change to fit a human hand Mm -hmm. too. Have we seen a Have we seen a um, Andalite? No, I don't think so. But we've seen the Horkmajir carrying these same Dracon beams. Yeah, see, see another Draco memes. Um, huh. But then, oh, yeah, then we have Chapman talking with his wife, and she kicks the cat carrier. Um, so uh, you have a lot of that going on. A lot of abusive cats. Definitely, but the, the, it novel. all works, and um, the scenes of the, the hosts reclaiming their bodies, um, it works, too. It, it looks believable when they're retching in pain on the floor. Um, mm-hmm. The scene where... You know, he's carrying the cat out, Rachel, out to go kill her. And then Melissa comes in at the worst possible time. Oh, this was really well done. I thought this scene was particularly well adapted. Uh, just having to, like, bring in the other cat. Because in the book, it's kind of, like, a little goofy that they have to get the cat there as soon as possible to, like, make sure that, you know, he doesn't take Melissa with him. But it's played really serious in the graphic oh, novel. Oh, yeah, well, it absolutely really works it. because you're not distracted by the the goofiness, I guess, of the team kind of wrangling in the real fluffer. You are are 
in the moment with Melissa and her dad as he's like, oh, whatever, I just didn't see you there. You know, like when she's very clearly like, why didn't you just tell me this wasn't our cat and all this? Like the emotion is really felt. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, I didn't see you there, daughter. Um, pretty messed up. Um, I do want to give a big, big shout out to the fact that both of these first two books have been very much from the perspective of who's telling it. Which, again, seems obvious because that's what the books did. But in a graphic novel, it would be very easy to jump over to Marco's perspective. But if something didn't happen in front of Rachel, they don't show it. it even within the scenes of, like, the other Animorphs, like, wrangling uh, Fluffer McKitty. Like, they could have shown that or, or added to it or whatever. But they kept the perspective with Rachel, which really, I think, it keeps with a very big tradition of the Animorphs books where you're very much in the head of the narrator. Yeah. And who that is. So I appreciate that a That's lot. That's a very good point. A very good detail. Yeah. It doesn't really uh, deviate too much from Rachel's perspective. And I like that. The double page spread of Chapman standing there at the kitty carrier and the bug fighters and the blade ship coming mm-hmm. down. Gorgeous. Like that's wallpaper quality. Oh, love it. Yeah. Absolutely. And I love how they did the blade ship. You see it from a few different angles in this book. And, um, Man, it just looks great. Blade ship looks great. I'm still getting used to the the individual ships. Um, they very much look like you know bugs, what I like think they look like the a little fighters. bit. The bug fighters um, they look like uh, like toes, <laughs> with 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 a, a painted yeah, red a little bit a toenail on them, and I and I guess a, a horrible sure uh, purplish boil or something. But they, they kind of look like toes with wings. <laughs> yeah. I, I could agree with that. Um, and again, like you have taxons coming out, which I think the taxons look exactly like I always imagined them and pretty close to what Scholastic even. I think uh, the biggest difference stuff. that I'm seeing with um, the taxons is the older representation. Their little mouthpieces are usually on the sides of the heads, whereas it looks like he's pretty consistently keeping them uh, on the tops of their heads. Just a little detail. Which is what the book describes. Well, the book describes it that way. So that's what I always pictured. Like, it's like the end of a worm. And they just started walking upright because they're a sentient species. So I love that the head, that the mouse are on the top. That, that to me, makes, like, evolutionary sense to the taxon. I, I think he does draw their eyes bigger than most other things that oh, imagine yeah. them. But, you know, they have I, to I like how they look. I think it looks great. jelly-filled is, uh, is what he's going for. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so here we get uh, Visitor 3. Right, yeah, let's dissect this. Form. He's got a serious and, case of resting Visitor yeah. uh, face, we'll say. Yeah. <laughs> he definitely it draws him very well. And like it's kind of like with Ana- the Andalites. Uh, <laughs> and I can't wait till we have Axe to compare as well. But oh, the yeah. The Andalites we've seen so far, you really see it in their eyes. Uh, you know, Elfangor was drawn very like serious and and father figure and like you know this this patriotic hero of the andalite fleet you could see that in his eyes like who he was and same thing with visitor you can see how angry and evil he is in his eyes yeah and and it's gonna sound weird but it's all in the wrinkles it's it's you know he's got very angry wrinkles to his eyes um Mm -hmm. i'm looking at a hork bajir holding their version of the dracon beam and they actually have like a longer almost shotgun looking style dracon so, they've had both. I think I think they've had both ones. Yeah, exactly. Which fits my theory that the the spaceman type that we see Chapman and and the other human controllers carrying 
are probably specific uh, uh, created for humans, I would say. Sure. I can see that. Um, so, yeah, and then we get the great scene of, of actual Chapman talking to Visitor 3. I always thought this was really cool that they let their host take over and talk to, like, negotiate. Um, but, you know, he's threatening Visitor at this point. Visitor's, like, attacking him and stuff, and uh, they're taking Rachel on board, and uh, this is when... You, oh, just everything. I this is the only thing. I think the Earth movers, the you know the construction vehicles, what they were actually doing was a little confusing, but I think that's intentional because we were staying in Rachel's head. We could only see what Rachel saw, so it was oh, kind of confusing. Point. On yeah, so it was confusing me at first, but it made sense. The fact that we were in Rachel's perspective, that's why we don't really see the bug fighter blow up. It's just an explosion in the background because she wasn't there for that. So it makes sense. Yeah, you know, that's a very good point. Um, you do get to hear the whole team's uh, thought speak going yeah. off as they're discussing it's it. It's the name of the show. Oh, my goodness. It's like we planned that or something. Um, but, yeah, yeah. Um, it It's very much like what Rachel would be experiencing in this scary moment where it's basically just her and Jake, as far as she knows, and they're captured there's a lot of talk about how this is the end for them. Mm-hmm. Being book two, we know it's not. But yeah. uh, it, it's a very serious, scary moment in their first mission. And they're about to be captured by the Vizzer. Um, Jake manages to slip off very conveniently to demorph and remorph within the blade ship, which I feel like they should have probably caught that. Which this is impressive. I mean, we don't. I don't know if we talked about this a lot when we reviewed the second book, but Jake basically does a back to back morph here. And he's like the first one to do that. Um, so that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, well, yeah, good point. Um, I'm sure though, that for one thing, flea morph was probably not too intensive. He even said it was not bad. Um, yeah, he was just chilling. <laughs> yeah. And then going directly to tiger probably felt good. So it was like, very little effort to like a big dopamine hit, you know? Yeah. Not, well, we not don't the see craziest. the panel. We don't see the panel, but he did have to go back to human. Cause, uh, he went like for, it's in between the, the scrunchy arm, uh, panel and then him getting like the tiger ears. So he had to be human for at least like half a second well, and I, then go to tiger. I, it's assumed, you know, it's, it's because well, the transition they... is shown really well in one page. Don't they at the end of the series does doesn't one of them pull off morphine straight from one to the other, or it's uh, talked about or something? It, I, I remember it some might reference. Be, it might be like halfway, like half morph, out mm-hmm. of out of their morph to human, and then starting with the other features. Like if they focused on demorphing their legs first, and yeah. then as soon as the legs were human, started morphing to the other animals' legs, something like that. Well, I think that if you if you have a sequel series eventually. That's like a level up for morphing. Like you could actually morph from animal to animal. Um, that'd be pretty rad. Oh yeah, go from bird to tiger and mm-hmm. just like scare the shit out of all your your enemies. <laughs> oh, it'd um, keep you secret too. Now we see uh, Visor Three's morph of this book, which is a giant rock golem. Uh, a, super cool, spider legs. A rock lobster. No, he's not a lobster specifically. He's a if golem. He, if, if he had claws, he would be. His his face uh, is actually really funny looking. It, it's um, very uh, reminiscent of like, 
I, I, I want to say one of those old Hanna-Barbera cartoons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't think I can of the that. one, unfortunately. I, I can't think of the title. Are you talking about that prehistoric? It's not like prehistoric, but it's like something, fantasy. But something Thundera, something. Th- was it? Thundar? Was it the one with the? It had like a triceratops, but it only had one horn. But yeah, and shot, he shot a shot like a little bullets. pellet. Yep, I know exactly what you're talking about, but I don't remember the name either. I, I think it's the Barbarians of Thundar or something like that. Oh, something man. like that. Somebody, I loved it when I was One of kid. our fans is screaming at us right now. <laughs> Come on, how do you not remember? Hey, listen, I remember Space Ghost. I remember all hey, those. At least we didn't call it He-Man, you know. <laughs> I know it's Hanna-Barbera for sure. But yep. it's it's another great double-page spread, and it's always cool to see you know, Visitor 3 is more for the week. I'm just glad we got to see two of them in this book. The yeah. Y- the Yerkbane and this big bad. So doubly cool. Um, plus, I would assume that's really fun for Chris to imagine those. Yeah. And these fight scenes where, you know, there's space lizards just shooting random beams in directions. They're not even <laughs> sure what they're shooting at. And a tiger running across the the, the page while uh, Visitor 3 is this big rock monster. He's throwing a tantrum mm-hmm. in the background. Uh it gets across the chaotic nature and uh, makes Rachel as a cat look like an action star for one scene in this panel where the visitors like smash, like swiping yeah. at her and she's flying. And then Tobias comes in and picks her up. Yeah, um, exactly. It looks like she's about to leap to her death. It's very dramatic. Um, just, you know, overall, it, it works for a second book, I think. Yeah, and I, I like that she like, you know, like it's morphing out of cat in midair just because she's so scared of being trapped in morph. But Oh yeah, yeah. So and then it, you know, very uh clearly transitions to the end of this scene. Um Rachel made it out alive and that's all that matters. Tobias comes in and tells her the others made it out. We're cool. And then it's just like the next day, right? And we get to see just the stinger of an ending where she slipped Rachel or Rachel slipped Melissa that anonymous letter. Um, and, and, and I gotta say, I think it, it hit a lot harder, um, seeing it here in the visual medium than maybe the, uh, the book did. Yeah. And I gotta say my favorite, favorite thing about the entire book, as far as like throwing in references and stuff is actually putting the Animorphs logo from the marketing. Right. As like, as as like a stamp at the, yeah. As a stamp at the end of the, uh letter now who designed that, that thing i mean that wasn't even i don't know it would it, it like would marco. have to be rachel no it's marco rachel's marco. the only one that would go to the length of writing this marco letter. is marco is the de facto no she wrote the letter but i think marco like she took it to him at lunch and he like whipped that up real quick he's like the de facto like marketing strategist of the animorphs i think marco would have said absolutely not you cannot slip her no. an anonymous letter Saying no, her parents Marco. love her. He came up with the name of Animorphs, and now he's, like, marketing it and branding it. <laughs> Maybe. That that might be, actually. You might be onto something there. But either yeah. way, it is awesome, yeah, to see that stylistic Animorphs A that probably a few of us uh, have either thought about or have tattooed on us. Well, this this makes it canon that, that it's there, like, that they have a logo. If they ever get the super suits, then they can have this logo on the front of them like Fantastic Four. You're just waiting for the book where they decide to start tagging around town late at night, mm-hmm. and this is what yep. they do? Or they're like drawing Andalites? Amazing. It'd be incredible. Uh-huh. Um, 
and then after that we get them back at you know it's a recurring location for this book back at the bell tower the the old rundown church they're just you know talking about like what are we gonna do next time and mark is like there's not gonna be a next time because obviously he hasn't had his you know come to war book yet it's Um, coming but we just but we just get a nice shot of tobias flying away at the end kind of you know leading us into what the next book is going to be with tobias as the the narrator yeah absolutely and it, it it like i said i'm super excited for the adaptation of book three if we only get uh the first six books adapted into graphic novels i think i'll be happy with that but it has to be at least six all the way up to the capture the second jake book that that yeah. is a monumental one that I think needs to be done in a graphic novel form. Uh, ideally, they should go and adapt all of them. Well, ideally, yeah, they do all of them. But I think the first arc, the the place you'd end it for, you know, Michael Grant has talked about this over the years, where you end the first arc is them destroying the Kendrona. That's the first big thing they accomplish. And I think that so, happened in book seven. Yeah, it's like seven or eight, something like that. Um so that's the end of the first arc in my mind. But I think he could do that and then let him jump around. Do the David trilogy. Do one or two books that are like bigger books in the middle that are like important to the series or even like some side stories. And then um, do the ending. That would be the best in my... In, I, I know they're not going to do all 50, you know, odd books or whatever. Yeah. So I think do the beginning, do a bunch of books from the middle that are iconic, and then do the ending. That would be, in my mind, the dream scenario. Probably, yeah. I I think when all is said and done, we should get maybe, hopefully, 10 to 15 of these graphic novels. That's that's what I'm hoping for. If we got 20 adapted, oh, that would be perfect. Or, you know, it would actually be kind of nice is if they did do the first arc that ended with them, you know, destroying the Candrona, and then they were like, well, we don't know if we're going to win this war overall. And then you have thirty page, like a thirty page stinger, at the end of the seventh book, that shows highlights of them winning the war. That would be cool. <laughs> well, they could do a lot with this visual medium, and it, it's very interesting to see. I I hope we'll talk to Chris Grant again on the show, and figure out if there's some kind of commitment to how many we can expect. Um, lots to look forward to. But do you want to give mini reviews of this thing? Should we do something like that? Just kind of wrap up our thoughts I mean, with finality. We did for the we did for the first one. Um, I think we're pretty. I mean, we didn't really do a full summary and stuff like that. I think we were pretty much giving our thoughts throughout. I, I think we both think it's superb. You know. Yeah, you're right. It's it's worth your time and your money definitely. There's there's no way. Yeah, either of us are gonna not tell you to buy this thing as soon as you can because it's not only good. It, it helps the fandom and the series so much and it tells Scholastic we want these things. So keep doing it. And and it would make my friend Chris Grind really happy. Yeah, I know it seems like we're just like best friends with him now <laughs> and that we're just pushing pushing this graphic novel to push it because we got it early or whatever. But I honest honest and truly, I mean, I think there's there's definitely things that could be improved and there's things that, you know, there's always things that could make it better. But as far as an adaptation of these original books, especially for this book, I feel like he elevated the material. 
I feel like this book does a lot of things to improve that original story. And I honestly think that this second book is an improvement on what he did with the first book. I think he's becoming more comfortable with the adaptation and he's doing like really interesting things and, and dialogue tags and things that weren't in the book that again, I think make it better and more interesting. So, you know, I just think that this is really exciting that we didn't just get someone phoning it in and just, you know, Oh, here's what the page said. So here's what I'm going to draw. We get a real fan who is a real artist and a real professional and is doing this right. Uh, it's an exciting time for, for the franchise or the IP or whatever. Yeah, definitely. There you go. I, I would say that's kind of the perfect review. <laughs> just just uh, check this thing out and enjoy it. And uh, if, if we had to give ratings, I'm still going to give this thing like a five out of five Fluffer McKitties. Oh, see, I wasn't ready with a with an icon this time. Uh, five out of Come five. On, improvise. Five out of five. Top of the head mouse taxons. Boom. You should have said Yerk Banes. Yerk. I just did your job for you. What? Yeah. Hmm? <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that commences uh, our our uh, review on the graphic novel, The Visitor. And next time we're going to get back to the series proper, right? Yeah, we were we were all ready to do the next book. I know we've been waiting forever, um, but we had this kind of fall in our laps. So we were like, hey, could we get this episode out before the actual book releases? And that's what we're going to still try to do. So hopefully you're listening to this before October 5th, which is the release date of the graphic novel, to your nearest bookstore or online purchasing place. Um, <laughs> I'd also like to give a shout out again uh, to our Patreon. You can find it at patreon.com slash thoughtspeakcast. Um, you can also, again, really, really help out the show by just leaving a review on iTunes or whatever podcast player you use. I'm sure there's a way to leave reviews and, and talk a little bit about the show. That helps us reach you know new listeners and and as we wrap up this series and and possibly move on to other things uh we want to make sure that people find us and, and enjoy the series along with us and bring in new fans so definitely do that it helps us out and uh hit us up on twitter facebook reddit uh where we hang out on our animorphs and see what's going on there um but thanks for listening to the show and and really excited that we got to do this episode and talk about again new content to the animorphs universe it's pretty rad Totally, and I'm so excited because next time we're talking book 49, The Diversion, and we both loved this book, I'm pretty sure. It's a really good one. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't wait to talk about this one with you, and that's happening next time. Uh, Till then, I've been your host, Michelle. And I've been Coleman. See ya. (laughs) See you next time.